Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, will Elon Musk succeed in getting his paws on Twitter? And what difference will it make to the users? We'll get the news at Netflix with a dip in subscribers and talk of clamping down on password sharing. Kira O'Brien will join me to discuss what's next for the streaming giant. Plus, Derek Riley is back. This time, he's been taking a new Renault Megane E-Tech Electric for a spin. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. I really want to make sure that there is a good future for humanity um, and that we're on a path to understanding the nature of the universe, um, the meaning of life, why are we here, how do we get here. And in order to understand the nature of the universe and all these fundamental questions, we must expand the scope and scale of consciousness. Certainly it must not diminish or go out, or we, we, we certainly we won't understand this. So I, I would say I'm motivated by curiosity more than anything. Um, and uh, just a desire to think about the future and not be sad. That was Elon Musk speaking exclusively to the head of TED, Chris Anderson, about what drives him. And Musk is one of those characters that, regardless of what you think of him, we need to pay attention to him because what he does has wide-ranging implications. A case in point is the back and forth between himself and Twitter. Stephen O'Leary of Politico joins me now. Stephen, there's an element of Groundhog Day to all of this in terms of uh, what's going to happen with Twitter, what's Elon Musk going to do next, and then all of a sudden these two worlds have collided. As uh, you know, the social media platforms have gone through a turbulent period, it is interesting to see what comes of this. Before we tease it all out, why do you think Elon Musk is so interested in Twitter? That's a great question. And I think, like, in a very simple way of looking at it, he's interested in Twitter in the same way that billionaires for centuries have been interested in controlling the media. Um, you know, Twitter, we think of Twitter as a social network and a place for conversation and expression and free, sh- uh, and free speech. And it is that but it is ultimately a publisher. Every time you send a tweet, you want the world to read or see what it is you're publishing. So, you know, we, we've seen this with Jeff Bezos. We've seen this with countless other extremely wealthy people where they have decided that they want to control the narrative to an extent, or they want to control the rules uh, around the narrative. And I think when we look at Musk, it feels like this is a similar time and place. He's he's clearly seen the power Twitter has, um, and there's probably half a dozen examples from the last two or three years where he's gotten in trouble for saying things on Twitter that has caused stock prices to move. Um, so he knows the power it has, and I would imagine he sees a, a huge opportunity in in harnessing and controlling that power. I think if you're not in the business that you're in or in the media industry, you may not fully appreciate the influence of Twitter. You know, Twitter often, it is a bubble, right? There's no question about that. But I remember a few years ago, I did a piece on how 
Twitter in particular is being used as a political tool. So we saw it during the Obama uh, presidential election. We saw it when, you know, Hillary Clinton confirmed that she was going to run for president. She didn't put out a press release. She posted a tweet. It is an influential platform and it's much more than just people saying what they've had for breakfast. But it's been influential for quite a while. So I'm curious about the timing of Musk's interest. Is it as a result of all of the political moves that have happened in the US in the last wee while? Is it the fact that they, you know, kicked Trump off the platform and, and he's intrigued by that? Or is it just a case that, as you mentioned there, you know, social media and online media is where it's at in terms of controlling narrative and so on? I'd love to know the answer, because I think if you knew the answer, uh, this is probably a moment where someone's going to get very rich, mm. um, because Musk has obviously put in a bid um, for Twitter far and above its existing share price. And although there's a poison pill strategy now, and if any of your listeners are succession fans, they'll probably be familiar with that phrase. It's probably <laughs> one of the times that a lot of the general public were introduced to it, and it was furiously Googled afterwards. I'm sure there's been an awful lot of Googling of it again. Uh, in the last week. Really, we don't know. Um, ultimately, we don't know. Obviously, Musk will give his side and, you know, he talks about free speech um, and making that available to all. And he also makes this point that the algorithm needs to be more transparent. You know, we've known for as long as social networks have existed, we have known that there is a deep belief on both sides of the divide, let's call it left and right, that the other side is getting an unfair advantage. And the reason for this is that the algorithms are set up to feed you things it thinks you want to consume. And the misnomer is that you then live in a bubble, right? So that you're constantly reinforced with messages that the network knows you want to see or that you believe in. Mm -hmm. But in truth, it wants you to react. It wants you to engage. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a message that you like. It can be a message that you don't like, that you're unhappy with. So... You know, there, there's an awful lot of actually really good writing that has taken place about this. And again, if there was, if I was to recommend anything in terms of something to read, there's a really, really good thread on Twitter, obviously, um, from the former Reddit CEO, Yishan Wang. And it goes through essentially the challenge Musk faces if free speech is his goal. So, you know, Reddit is something that Yang ran and he understands better than probably anybody uh, the challenges that exist in making speech truly free on a social network and not running into the problems that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, every other major social network has. So we know, according to Musk, that's why he wants to do it. But there's a myriad of other reasons that could exist. And I do think one of the reasons we're seeing this now, and you talked about that, you know, why now? Why this moment? We saw in the last 24 hours that Tesla released their numbers. Mm -hmm. We know they're really good. And we know that the impact of that is a massive uh, increase in wealth for Musk. I think the number 23 billion was being bandied about um, in terms of what his options are now going to be worth because he's hit his targets. Um, if that's the case, maybe he was very confident a few weeks ago that these numbers were going to be hit, that this money was going to be released, and that that, as well as some financing from some financial institutions that we've seen mentioned in the last 24 hours, gives him the war chest he needs to go and buy Twitter. 
I have so many questions on this and I'm, I'm delighted that I have you here because I just need to talk it all out and it's more a stream of consciousness, uh, consciousness than a, a perfect journalistic interview. I don't mind saying it. But back to the timing thing, you know, there's never been more focus on social media in terms of legislation. And also there's a lot of talk, you know, the antitrust hearings in the US about the power that individuals have over big platforms. So there's talk of breaking meta up, so separating all the Facebook companies. There's questions about Amazon's power, Google's power. Musk surely getting involved in Twitter when he already has the giant footprint that he has, albeit, you know, in different types of of technology companies, like, again, it just doesn't make sense to me in terms of why he would want to get in at a time when they are looking at legislation and also saying, no, lads, the six of you or the seven of you have too much power as it is. Surely it doesn't make sense. Well, it depends on what sense looks like here, right? So sense to you or I, I would imagine, and to most of your listeners, is you buy a business because you wanted to give you a, a return on your investment. And that, and that return is mostly financial. Mm. But again, we have high-profile examples in Ireland, uh, as well as other places, of extremely wealthy individuals who have bought media platforms and media groups and built them up so that they have a level of control over what then gets published. And I know we talk about it as a social network, and it is by definition, but ultimately it, it influences the traditional media so heavily. So how often do you read a news story where it says, we saw on Twitter yesterday our you know, you gave the example of Clinton and the election run. There's so many times when individuals take to Twitter because they know that's going to shape the, the, the narrative of the traditional news. And I think for Musk, this isn't about making money. He's not, you know, he talks about the fact that, you know, he can transform Twitter and look, Twitter's challenges, financial in particular, are well documented. Um, they haven't had that kind of rocket ship um, kind of growth that we've seen on Facebook and other networks. Um, and other companies even over the last kind of decade. And, and rightly so, shareholders are asking questions about the way maybe the company makes money. But in Musk's case, it feels like the way the company makes money really doesn't matter. For him, this appears to be this free speech crusade. And ultimately, do any of us know what he would do with it if he got it? Would the deal be approved? It still feels there's so many roadblocks we've got to go through before Elon Musk ultimately owns Twitter. From a user's point of view, um, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? And and by that, again, it's a multi-pronged approach or a multi-pronged question in that, firstly, is the focus of Twitter and the talk and the hype about Twitter, is that a good thing for users? Are we going to see people flocking to the platform now to see what all the buzz is about? And then if Musk does get his hands on it, is it a good thing for someone like me who uses it a bit for work, a bit to snoop around, and that's kind of the extent of it, or will I notice any difference? So the second question is very difficult to answer because ultimately what an individual decides to do with a product when they buy it, you know, if they're the ultimate owner, it's very much up to them. You know, I'm imagining Musk has probably got final sign-off on designs a Tesla and he's got a, a very influential role when it comes to SpaceX and so many other kind of things. So we know that he is a hands-on person when it comes to the businesses that he builds and runs. So what changes would he make? How would we see that as users? It's very, very hard to know. A lot of people speculating that one thing he may do is reinstate some of the accounts that have been famously banned from the platform. 
um, you know, former President Trump, probably the most famous of those. So it, it, it's possible that that's where the free speech thing uh, comes in. But if we look at the other things in terms of are we going to see an increase in people on the platform being there because all this chat about Twitter is going on, I think that ship has sailed. I mean, you know, I think we've had enough moments in the last four or five years, the pandemic and the war, probably the two most recent, where people have realized that if they want to be kept up to date on the news and they want to be kept up to date from government officials, from broadcasters, from journalists, from credible sources of information in real time, well, Twitter's the place to go. How often do you see a journalist break a story on Twitter mm -hmm. before it appears possibly in print or on radio or on TV with the network that they're, um, they're employed by? I mean, we see that you know, quite regularly. So I think the audience is already there and Twitter doesn't really need an awful lot more buzz right now. People like the platform. They like what it happens. You just have to look at what happens and the reaction that occurs when they say they're going to make a change. So probably the most famous user change that's been muted for a while but hasn't happened is this idea of an edit button mm -hmm. that you can go back and change what you said. That's been asked for and debated for it feels like a decade. When Twitter went from 140 characters to 280 characters, it broke the internet and everyone said this will never work. And very quickly we got used to the extra space we had and actually it turns out to be a good thing in most people's eyes. So, you know, what will Musk do? How would he change things if he bought it? I, they're great questions, but I don't think anyone can give you a credible answer. It's all just speculation at the moment. The, the notion of the free speech and that being a key driver for him is an interesting one for me because as you well know, like here in radio, we have rules and regulations that we have to follow. Uh, like we're answerable to the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And there's things like taste and decency, like there's very stringent rules around elections and so on. And there's talk of, not quite that to that extent, but there is talk of, you know, proper legislation coming into place and proper recourse, I suppose, if something goes awry online. And I'm just wondering if you've got Musk in charge, if you've got legislation coming into effect, I know it's very difficult to, to kind of bring it in online and so on, but there will be rules and regulations in place. And, and you know, we're, we're going to get um, our own legislation here in Ireland as well as sort of uh, legislation in the US. You just wonder how does legislation sit on something like Twitter and how does somebody with the persona or the perceived persona of Elon Musk, like how does that all gel together? So I think it's worth looking at the other businesses Musk owns. So he owns a company that is aiming for automation and automated cars in Tesla, uh, an industry that is really heavily regulated in terms of safety. And he's sending things into space. Um, uh, you know, through another company that is also an industry that is highly regulated, albeit much less public, but still highly regulated, a huge amount of safety protocol, et cetera, that goes into it. So I think from that point of view, I don't think he's under any illusions as to the kind of um, view or uh, regulation our process that the social networks are going to be looking at and increasingly looking at over probably the next two or three years, because we've seen it over the last, you know, five to 10 years. We've seen, you know, although the, the narrative is awful things happen on the internet and they do, actually the social networks have taken huge steps to try and limit the amount of content 
that appears online that shouldn't. Um, and, you know, in some cases like Facebook, that's employing teams of tens of thousands of people to manually review content before it appears online. But in tandem with that, it's building more and more sophisticated artificial intelligence solutions that can spot things that shouldn't appear online and prevent them from appearing before the, the button is even clicked. So I, I don't think in Musk's case, regulation will be a fear of his. And again, I think he can point to the industries he's already well established in and say, well, look, I've done it there. I know what regulation looks like there in a way, like how hard can it be at Twitter? Yeah, you just wonder, though, if it is almost more hassle than it's worth for someone like Musk, you know, and the fact that he is so hands on. You just wonder now, is he going to be sitting down writing replies to the likes of the BAI or whatever the body will be when it comes into effect? I can't imagine it. Uh, but again, stranger things have happened. Looking at the different platforms, like again, we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, but if it does come to pass... Will we feel shockwaves across other social platforms and other news outlets that utilise the likes of Twitter as a vital publishing tool to get its content out there? Or will it just be business as usual and you might get Trump back online, which will make some people wet themselves with excitement and other people absolutely horrified? Again, it's really hard to know. I mean, and this probably comes down to that question as to whether Musk is buying this with a commercial interest or he's buying it to democratize free speech, this line that we, we repeatedly hear. If it's the latter, well, then we should see very little change because he's not buying the platform to improve it or make it more efficient. He's buying it so that, he, you know, in his own words, you know, he's protecting free speech or making it more available. And what you might see potentially in the short term is uh, relaxing on, um, on maybe some of the limitations that are in place about who can set up an account, what they can say, you know, perceived censorship, etc. Now, how long that would last um, and how long that would be allowed to last is another question, but, but it's, it's possible you would see that. If it's the former, and, and if Musk is buying this with a commercial interest and he wants to get a return and he sees Twitter as a company that is poorly run, that is inefficient, that, that could be making essentially more money, well, then you could potentially see big changes. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can monetize um, a very large user base, one that's got hundreds of millions of users. You know, the traditional way and the way that I suppose Twitter and other networks have done it is through, you know, targeted advertising. And we know that that is the bedrock of income for uh, a lot of these organizations. But there are other alternatives that are open. And, and indeed, Twitter has experimented um, with different ways to raise revenue and generate revenue in the last couple of years. And, and actually, there's a, there's a lot of people who would say that they're moving much faster now, that in the past, they were guilty of essentially taking way too long and overthinking every possible change, whereas now they, they essentially give things a go and see if they work and aren't happy to, or sorry, aren't, aren't afraid to maybe make mistakes. So in Musk's case, what we might see is someone who comes in, says, this is a poorly run business and I'm going to change it. And if he does, then maybe we'd have to pay for access. Maybe media organizations would pay a commission. Like, I mean, who knows? There's, mm -hmm. there's a multitude of things that could potentially happen there. But if it's not that, if this isn't about making money and there's a lot to suggest it's not, he's not buying this to, uh, to turn a profit. Well, then I think it's far more likely we would see someone like Musk maybe open up the network a little bit more. He's talked again, as I say, about making the algorithm much more transparent so you can see why certain things trend and why they don't. 
Um, I think that might come as a bit of a shock to people on both sides of every argument um, because these preconceptions they have about, oh, the other side always get far more airtime than we do, probably will be shown not to be true. Uh, and in fact, it will be something that is quite democratic and, and even across the board. But really, again, as I say, this is, this is speculation. It's good fun. It's kind of good fun to kind of think about where it might go. But really, we have no idea. Yeah, look, the, the good thing about Elon Musk is that he's never boring. Uh, <laughs> no matter what uh, company he's talking about, no matter what tweet he's putting out, it is, as he said, it's entertaining and it's good to speculate it about. I'm just apprehensive, I suppose, as to what will happen if it does come to pass. My final question is, if it doesn't come to pass, what, like, <laughs> will we all want a bit of change? Will we, as users, will we want a bit of excitement? Will we want something to change? And will Twitter follow through on that? Or will it be a case of, as it was grand for you three months ago before Musk even showed a bit of interest, so pipe down? Yeah, again, I think it's the latter there. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, what we don't realise, and, and, you know, we really, this is not a criticism, but we've really short memories, right? Mm-hmm. So if you ask people to timeline the changes Twitter have made over the last five years, you might get the 14280 answer. That's probably all you get. You wouldn't hear an awful lot about the other changes that happen. And yet there's been dozens, hundreds, in fact, of changes that have occurred along the way. So the platform is constantly iterating. It's constantly experimenting with new things like spaces uh, and, and other kind of features that it thinks users might want. And that will continue. I mean, the, the company has got a, you know, a, a development um, channel. It, it's constantly looking at ways to improve what it does and how it does it. But what, you know, what it comes down to ultimately is that there is no better social network in the world for breaking news. There there simply isn't, there isn't a competitor. It doesn't matter how many users Facebook have, doesn't matter how great Instagram is or how popular TikTok's becoming, et cetera. No other single platform comes close to competing with Twitter for breaking news. And breaking news, live sport, anything live in fact, is still so culturally important, still has such a colossal audience globally that Twitter's not going anywhere. Um, and I think this really, if it turns out to be something that doesn't come to pass, and in three months' time we're not really talking about Musk and Twitter at all, you know, Twitter's still going to be there. Musk will still be there too, but just in a in a, a different company doing something different. Yes, causing controversy somewhere else, and no doubt we'll be talking about it right here on Tech Talk. Uh, Stephen, it's always great to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Jess. Yeah, that was Stephen O'Leary of Alitico. I would love to hear what you think. Uh, email techtalk at newstalk.com or obviously you can find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. When we come back, what is going on with Netflix? Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. On Tuesday's Pat Kenny show, I was in studio with Pat talking about the iPhone SE. This is the more affordable uh, iPhone model and I was very impressed by it. It does have quite a small screen. It's a 4.7 inch screen, but it's 500 quid. Uh, and the camera, the battery, the general performance, 
I think was quite good. So if you have somebody in your life or if you yourself are interested in being within the Apple ecosystem but don't want to spend the guts of a grand on a phone, uh, the iPhone SE could well be worth uh, your time and money. You can listen back to the review in full up on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. Just search for technology on the Pat Kenny Show. Hit subscribe and every single review will appear on your phone as if by magic. Yes, of course, that is the theme tune to House of Cards, which back in the day was the first Netflix original that brought people to the platform and got everyone talking as well. Uh, Since that time, a lot has changed on the streaming landscape. We have other players on the field and it's not quite as rosy as it was for Netflix. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times joins me now. Kira. Like there's been a lot of talk, there's been a lot of sound bites um, relating to Netflix over the last number of days. Just give us a bit of a summary as to what came to light about Netflix this week and the implications of that. So basically Netflix has had a few issues lately. They basically lost viewers uh, over the start of the year, but while they were losing viewers, their bigger rivals were actually making gains. So they lost, I think it was 200,000 users over the first three months of 2022. And they had, there had actually been predictions they would add like two and a half million subscribers. So that's a huge loss. Now, there's a few reasons for this. I mean, first of all, you know, growth can't last forever. Um, Netflix has had a good run of it. Uh, For a long time, it was the only streaming service in town. So it's a bit of a perfect storm because now it's no longer, not only is it no longer the only streaming service in town, but a lot of the content that would have attracted people to the service so say like in the US friends and and the office and and things like that are now leaving the the service because those companies that make those programs actually now have their own streaming services and obviously they want to keep their own content so they're kind of a bit of a perfect storm in that not only are they kind of losing content but at the same time Netflix Netflix recently announced that it was going to hike its prices um they obviously need to fund their their own content that they're making. I mean, they make some good content. You know, they also make some absolute drops, but like they do make some good content. And that's what obviously has pushed people to subscribe and to stay with the uh, stay with the service. But you know, all that costs money. They they have now decided that they need to to hike the subscription prices. And for some people, given that we are in a cost of living crisis at the moment where your energy bills are going up, your petrol prices are more, food prices are going up, Netflix is not really an essential or not as essential, I suppose, as Netflix would like us to believe. You know, we can live without watching Stranger Things or Orange is the New Black or, or, or things like that. You can't live without food. So if it comes down to it, people are going to get rid of what is essentially, you know, a frivolity. Now, personally for me it's kind of a bit of an essential because I have kids and anybody who has kids know that when you're stuck in the house as we have been recently because of that dreaded word that we will not mention mm-hmm. uh, that streaming services have been an absolute lifeline and you know over the last couple of years we have seen that you know that the streaming services have been massively popular I mean Netflix had competition there from Disney like Disney launched at probably the perfect time it launched in I think it was March 2020 over here in Ireland obviously it had been in the US for a little bit longer but Disney Plus had launched over over here at the perfect time we were all trapped at home and all we had to do was watch tv so you know the streaming services have had a good run of it and netflix in particular but you know if you keep putting up the prices people are eventually going to leave so you're talking about like uh, you know it's nine euro i think for the um the standard Mm. uh 
well now uh, for the basic plan sorry not even the standard 15 euro for the standard one and the premium tier has gone from 17 euro to 21 euro which is a massive or a massive hike so people are obviously going to cancel then you also have you know the war in ukraine uh, netflix pulled out of russia which meant immediately they lost 700,000 subscribers so you couple that like you've got the loss of content you've got additional competition because now you've got more options out there rather than less um, people want to feel like they're getting value for money but it's not even just about getting more content because you know we we had that we had that with with tv you know you're sitting there you're looking you've got like 800 channels Mm -hmm. and there's literally nothing on Uh, and that's kind of sometimes where i feel we're getting to with netflix because i was looking for something to watch the other night and i'm just looking through my netflix this was like i really just do not want to watch any of this Um, and that is, is a problem there that netflix is going to face more and more people want better content more high quality content not necessarily you know pages and pages and pages of basically rubbish it's, and what is rubbish content to me is not rubbish content to somebody else and this is where you know this is where the streaming services are going to have an issue and um, netflix was also kind of blaming it on slower rollout of broadband in some countries and then the uh, password sharing so i don't know about you but like i mean everybody shares the network netflix password yes. i mean <laughs> mine is on my parents have my netflix password i fully admit that because my children are there nine to five five days a week so you know it's it's their account as well so that's my parents have that password because my children are there and they watch Netflix while they're there. Um, they have kind of said, you know, that they've hinted about cracking down on password sharing in the past. At first, they actually encouraged it because Netflix wanted people to be addicted to Netflix. They wanted you to get you hooked on, on watching all this content. And then I suppose with the, the, the view that maybe at some point you would become a customer yourself. So if you're you're kind of bumming off your your friend's Netflix, it can't last forever because if you have the standard account, it's only two screens at once. And then after that, you get kicked off. Um, so if you wanted unfettered access to Netflix, you know, eventually you might put your hand in your pocket and, and pay for it yourself. Um, I don't think it's happened in quite the same way that, that they thought it would. Um, so that they started an experiment in the, back in March, it was March 2021, they were kind of trialing this uh, two-factor login authentication thing where if you logged into your Netflix, you'd be asked for a code. Now, that's fine if you're the account holder, but if you're not the account holder and you've been kind of you know using your ex-boyfriend's Netflix for the last six years without him realizing, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be able to get into it. Um, that kind of got a bit of blowback, but they've been trialing something else in a few other countries, things like Chile and, and Peru and a few other places where if you are using Netflix outside, if somebody outside your household is using your Netflix account, you can add them to your account for th- an extra $3 a month. Most people are not going to pay for I mean, look, I, I, you certainly wouldn't be paying for your friends to use your own Netflix no. account. You know, that just doesn't make sense. Where they're going to run into problems with this one is um, if you have a family account, as we do, um, and your family are not always in the same place as mine is not, uh, what happens there? You know, do they, how do they decide what's your household use and what's not? Um, and I think that will push people to cancel the service as well, because if I'm paying for a service that I can only use occasionally, I only use occasionally, but my family use more, you know, why would I continue paying for it if they're going to stop my family using it? It just doesn't seem, you know, it doesn't seem to make sense. Um, the other thing that they talked about is potentially bringing advertising into the platform and that's something that Netflix has been resistant to in the past but 
if it's a case of, I suppose, to be honest, I think if it's a case of people getting uh, a higher subscription price or putting up with a couple of ads for the sake of a lower subscription cost every month, people might opt for the ads. I mean, but are we not paying to get rid of the ads though? Is that not the point of like, that's why I pay for YouTube premium because I don't want to sit through ads. And I think the notion of like, particularly if it is now, I don't know if it would be, but say if you are paying fifteen ninety nine a month for any of the subscription services and then they put ads on top of that, like you may as well just go back to well, your TV package then. Well, that's the thing. I think the, rather than them kind of putting on the existing packages, they may bring in another one, another lower priced package where you can pay a lower amount, still have more or less the same advantages in terms of the number of screens that you can use and the content you can access. But instead of paying that higher price to get rid of the ads, you know, you, you get a lower price and you get some ads shoved in instead. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, if you have Spotify free versus mm-hmm. the premium account. Now, obviously, there's other there's other advantages to having a premium account on Spotify. But, you know, the, the basics are there. You can still access content, but you 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 don't pay for it as such, but you have to suffer through the ads. Now, personally, I find um, the idea of, of, of paying more to not have ads, you know, it's, it's probably preferable than having to sit through ads. Um, but for some people, you know, it's going to be a way, probably the only way that they can afford to keep a Netflix subscription. And for Netflix, I suppose uh, the idea now is, is hang on to all of those, all of those subscribers because, you know, you have the likes of Disney and they have all the Star Wars content and they are churning out Star Wars content. That's actually good. Yeah. And, you know, in the States, you've got like Paramount and HBO Max and all these other uh, streaming services that now have their own content that Netflix would have had. Um, I would have had access and would have licensed uh, around the world. And now they're basically saying, well, you know what? We're not going to, uh, we're not going to give you this content anymore. We're going to keep it for ourselves. And then you have Amazon, uh, it's prime service. Like they've just bought the uh, the studio that makes James Bond uh, content. So, you know, I mean, like there's, there's a lot of investment going on. Um, obviously Netflix has, has done all, you know, they've, they've put out some great content in the past. I mean, you've, you've got stuff like Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black, you've got The Crown. Um, but, you know, it's all kind of, it's a lot of this stuff is now older, you know, they're, they're into a, they're a few series in, it's not as probably as compelling, it's not as new and shiny as it used to be. Uh, and some of the newer content that Netflix has put out recently, I don't think it's grabbed attention in the same way as some of the older stuff did. Uh, I don't really hear people talking about sex life in the same way that they talked about Orange is the New Black. Um, you know, that, to be honest, I don't really hear people talking about sex life at all. Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it, it is kind of getting to that point now where, you know, do you do you just keep paying for Netflix because you've always paid for it? I mean, at the same time is that you've also got Apple TV and Apple has done some really great content. And that was kind of reflected at, at the Oscars recently when, mm-hmm. you know, the coda was it was pretty much you know it was held up as the, the shining example of how streaming content could be now obviously if you're netflix and you've been working on this for ages you know and then you get pipped to the post to to an academy award might be a bit galling but you know they have to up their game to up their game they have to invest in it and to invest in it they have to get the money from somewhere and that's going to be from their subscribers one way or the other whether it's through advertising or through increased uh subscription packages and i just i kind of wonder how they can go with the, the the monthly fees before people say enough and i think at the moment it's a particular pain point for people and they're like they've actually said they, they expect to lose another two million subscribers um by the end of july now that's that's 
kind of huge. I mean, I know they've got over 220 million subscribers. So, you know, it's not catastrophic. And Netflix is not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, I wouldn't be writing them off by any stretch of the imagination. But I think if you're going to start doing things like, you know, penalizing people for password sharing, which you, you actively encouraged at the start. Yeah. You know, that people are going to kind of kick back against it. If you're going to bring in advertising, you know, it had better be as a, an opt-in package that people can sign up for rather than just cramming it into everybody's because people will not stand for that either. As you said, you pay for YouTube premium to get rid of ads. Yeah, I pay for, for some services because I don't want ads. I also want to be able to binge watch things. Um, but that and, and that actually, that, that the whole concept, that whole um kind of era of binge watching as well i mean we've spent the last two years kind of in and out of lockdowns being stuck in our house people want to get out and they don't want to be tethered to screens i mean i was just looking at my uh my screen time for last week was averaged 15 hours a day because i was inside with two small children hmm. um who weren't well so you know and that's that's awful so like this weekend it's you know everything is going to be closed down i'm not going to be looking at screens at all this weekend because to be honest 15 hours a day of screen time between work and, and you know streaming stuff like it's 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 to me it's it's too much for me yeah um and that is the other thing and netflix has said in the past it's it's main competition it's not amazon or hbo it's sleep you know people need to sleep that's the thing we do for we're supposed to do for eight hours a day Mm -hmm. um that's their main competition people stay up all night binge watching things you know it's not it's not hbo max that they're worried about it's, you know people needing actual sleep which is an okay thing to do you are allowed to sleep i would love to hear from you are exactly. you going to ditch netflix are you going to ditch another service maybe you're going to get rid of your tv package uh, email techtalk at newstalk.com as ever Kira o'brien from the irish times thanks so much for joining us thank you very much tech talk on news talk with vmware Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Derek Riley of EV Review Ireland is with me now. Derek, what are we talking about this week? The Renault Megane E-Tech 100% electric. Okay, now Renault Megane is a brand and sort of one of the lineup that we'll have all heard of and know about. So talk us through what we need to know about the EV version. Yeah, so Renault have a pedigree in this space with the Renault Zoe, one of the best-selling electric vehicles in the last 10 years, has been a top seller. It's a nice, compact little car that got you around, good-sized battery and well able to take charges uh, at low current and high current. And what they've decided to say, right, the small car is grand, but a lot more people are interested in that larger family hatch SUV kind of a space. So they've taken the Megane and they say, right, moving forward, once the current Megane model is rolled out, this is going to be the only Megane you can get and it's 100% electric um, and they've done an amazing job with it. Looking at the images, I actually really like the look of this car. Talk us through the, the shape and how it differs as well from the Zoe as well. Yeah, so it's actually, it looks like a large SUV or a compact SUV kind of a shape, but it's actually a hatchback and they call it a family hatchback. It's slightly lower than a Renault Zoe, so it is kind of like uh, Volkswagen Golf, Volkswagen ID3, and that's really the one that's up against is that it's it's a nice size for two adults, a couple of kids or, you know, a couple of adults. It's it's going to be a great seller, and I know it's great to hear that you like the look of it because everybody I've talked to likes the look of it. Now, Jess, the question I have for you is some people don't like the two-tone gold slash i think they call it some kind of titanium but are you a fan of that kind of accented color 
Not really. Do you know what? It looks to me like a car that you would see in Forza Horizon 4 or something like that. That kind of accent on it actually makes it look like a video game car rather than a real life car. And you know what? If the boy racers buy it, we're all happy with that. But you can get it without the accented colour as well. So, yes, definitely they are taking stylistic cues from all walks of life, be that computer games or whatever that may be. So there is a nice accented colour. It's a totally different look to the current Renault Megane. So it's ground up. And if you go back to that multi-use platform that we've talked about in the past with other brands, Renault is in an alliance with uh, um, Nissan as well. So when they're working together on research and development, they say, right, we're going to, and so they've said, we're going to use this CMF platform across the Nissan Aria, which is a large SUV. We're going to use it on this Renault Megane. And then next year, the year after, they're going to bring out what's uh, an electric version of the Renault 5, which is a really old car from years and years ago. And they're bringing it back as as an electric kind of replacement for the Renault Zoe. Okay. Can I ask a stupid question? Because I often do. But is there a need for brands to bring out multiple types of... Like, is the appetite there for them to have that other one, the Megane, the the, the Zoe as it exists now? Like, are we at that stage where it's necessary or are we still just seeing what they can do so they're doing it? Great question. And it's not stupid at all. What all manufacturers have decided to do is we're going to go with SUV because well, pretty much they've all said we're going to go SUV because that's the the segment of the market that's selling. And so once they've cracked that, you're going to look at hatchbacks. That Renault 5 is going to be a smaller city car, maybe not with a huge range. But yet we're starting to see the uh, EV range, pardon the pun, the types and shapes and sizes of vehicles definitely going to expand. And Renault or Nissan or any brand is of no difference. They're they're looking at different forms factors because a certain size and a certain shape might not be suitable to you it might not be what you want you might want smaller bigger taller longer and so they're starting to make multiple options so the variety of electric vehicles out there is huge and using that skateboard platform underneath is is making all this possible so they can stick a different body on the top of it but and it's not just about that ev platform it's about that integration and, and with the megan and other brands they're starting to bring in operating systems and with specifically with this one this one's based on on the google operating system back to the ev in question one of the things that we often talk about is the space inside and the tech inside is there anything to write home about on, on this car Good size space inside front and back. And because it's got that EV platform, the wheels are out in the four corners. So as as a tall person, I'm six foot two, 188 centimetres. I can sit in the front and comfortably sit behind me when that seat is set for me. The boot is of good standard size, about 400 odd litres. So you're going to take a couple of suitcases in there. And then the tech inside, and just to my last point, the architecture of this technology, the infotainment system. So what they have is they've got a 12 inch horizontal screen in front of the driver and that links into a vertical screen that goes down the center console but this is built on android automotive different android auto which is kind of like a way of sharing your phone screen on your car screen this is all actually going to be built into the car itself so you'll sign into your car with your google account and then it'll be google maps will know where where you're going Uh, it'll your spotify list will be all the same so it's starting to see the merging of automotive and tech really coming together and this isn't the first car to do that volvo are doing it and other brands are doing it with different uh, assistance and, and operating systems let's talk about uh the range and charge time and so on how did it perform 
range WLTP, so the standardized range, that's uh, sometimes it can be a bit uh, elusive. Uh, they're saying it's 450 kilometers, but real world for the so two battery sizes, 60 kilowatt and 40 kilowatt. So the larger battery they're saying is going to get 450. We're probably going to be near the 400 mark. And then the smaller battery is going to be at a uh, real world of about 260, where they're saying it's going to get 300. So size wise, perfect. You know, at that between 40 and 60 kilowatt hour is going to get you a lot of places around the country. And if you're only doing 50 kilometers a day, it's going to be charged once or twice a week. On that point, the charging, and this is for Renault starts to come away from everybody else. And uh, so you've got slow charging or AC charging like at home or on street with the ones that you plug in yourself or fast charging. What Renault did with the Zoe back in the day was they said, we want to give the consumer the maximum that we can give them from those chargers on the street that you plug into yourself, the AC units. So with a Renault Zoe, you can put 22 kilowatts worth of energy into it per hour. And so with a, 50, a 40 kilowatt hour battery, you could be full up in two hours by a street charger or at home, you could be full up you know, in only a couple of hours. So they have that technology and, and Nissan is going to use that as well now that they're sharing the same platform. So on a slower charger, public charger, you're going to get up, build up very fast. So if you're in shopping or you're going to the cinema, et cetera. And then on the fast charger, it can go up to 130 kilowatts on DC, 85 kilowatts on the lower size battery. So very capable range, very capable of charging. And they're very proud of the battery that's in the Renault Megane. It's only 110 millimeters thick. And so it's one of the thinnest batteries. So that means that the car doesn't have to be up high. That means that the interior cabin isn't compromised. So they're very proud of that integration of how thin that battery is. Another Jess question. In terms of the battery there, is there a big distinction between the batteries in the different EVs? Is it not kind of like smartphone batteries in that it's kind of one and the same, just in different branded phones? Different technology, how they're cooled. Some are still air-cooled, some are liquid-cooled how fast they charge, the composition of the battery chemistry. So yeah, so there is still a difference between some of them. Uh, as I say, Renault are very proud of the fact that this is so thin. Other manufacturers, their, charge, their batteries packs that are in the bottom of the car aren't as thin. So that means that you might feel that when you're sitting in the back seat that your legs are up a bit high and you're compromised. You're, you're in that kind of stress position if you're going on a longer journey. So no, it definitely it's how, they, how they're made, number one how they're actually put together and the shape of them. So yeah, there's still a lot of differences between so the likes of this versus its competition. It may be that passengers feel more comfortable in the Renault Megane versus its competition because of that battery size. And there's an interesting piece where sometimes I get asked about the uh, if an electric vehicle is involved in an accident. Renault are working with uh, Parisian firefighters as to how to make sure that this battery is secure if it does get involved in an accident. And it's one of the only manufacturers that have a, a, underneath the back seat, the fire department can put their fire hose directly on top of the battery so that it can flood the battery tank as soon as anything happens if it needs to happen. So it's great that they're thinking about scenarios like that and using the technology in the right way. Is there a lot of, or is there any real difference, I suppose, between a standard car and an EV when it comes to safety tech? Or, you know, is that very much software that's on the mainframe and that's the height of it? Yeah, and it's, you know what, electric vehicles, 
probably are leading the way with regards to technology, but you still have that technology with a uh, combustion engine. But because there's so much research and development going into electric vehicles, you're going to have a lot more adaptive cruise control, lane keep. You'll get them on the other vehicles as well, but because electric vehicles are the way the industry is going, a lot more tech is definitely focused onto that. And so a lot more driver assists. Uh, I was talking to an insurance broker there recently, and they were saying that somebody, uh, an, uh, a brokerage, uh, an underwriter, are looking at EV drivers preferentially because even though the cars are a bit more expensive, with all the technology inside it, be that self-driving, automatic braking, all this kind of stuff, it won't let you reverse out if it senses somebody walking past or a cyclist, et cetera. They're actually involved in less accidents with all these driver assists. And then, and then in turn, the insurance premium could potentially be less as well. So it's an interesting conversation as to how we're, as drivers, are being assisted by these vehicles, be that electric or combustion. The last time we spoke about an EV, we really liked it, but you were saying, if you like it, good luck trying to get your hands on one because the supply is insane. Where are we at in terms of the supply of this Renault Megane? Mm, Yeah, we don't even have a price in Ireland yet, but uh, we're hoping to be getting in the summertime. Unfortunately, Renault had to stop production there recently just with supply chain issues, and they're not the only one, but they are coming. We will have prices in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping. So if it is something that you're interested in, definitely get down to your local Renault dealer and have a conversation with them. You should be hearing what's happening through the dealership network. But yeah, like any electric vehicle at the moment, and even if there wasn't supply chain issues, there's only a finite number of things that can be manufactured by any of these big organizations. And electric cars are the buzz at the moment, pardon the pun. Uh, And I didn't use any French puns today, Jess. I hope I'm I'm rewarded for that. Ooh la la, et cetera, et cetera. you nearly got through a whole interview without doing something that makes me cringe. So I'm proud of you, but then you had to go and ruin it. I know, I know. But sure, listen, that's why you bring me on. There's a variety, of a spice of life. But going back to your point, there are a number of different customer bases for electric vehicles. There are people that are environmentally conscious. There are people that are cost conscious of fuel prices at the moment. There are people that are technologically want to be the early adopters for something that's new and out there. So there's a lot of consumer bases that are vying for this product from different angles. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people that are having to wait now months and even into next year for that electric vehicle. So if it is something of interest, don't be hanging around. And the subsidies that are there to help you purchase the vehicle or put in a charger, they're not going to be around forever as well. So it's an interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to take a look at the car and that two-tone that Derek mentioned, you can head over to the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel and take a look. It is the Renault Megane E-Tech Electric. Uh, Derek, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can, of course, listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday morning. In the meantime, have a great weekend.